Well, I want to get right in uh, into the message today, uh, if we can, with today being uh, the start of Mission Akron, which is an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, and it's very, uh, it's very cool the way that that idea of what Mission Akron really is, is going to, in, in many ways, tie in uh, to what we're going to be looking at, not only today, uh, but for the next few weeks. Because as we get back to, to life without as many restrictions, without as many uh, lockdowns, Lord willing, um, and we get really accustomed to this slightly different world that we now live in, uh, many aspects of it moving forward can feel much like a question mark. There's a lot of um, unknown. Uh, in this past year, uh, really for the first time since World War II, our planet has experienced a shared trauma, if you really think about it. The, it really the first time since then that the entire planet uh, you, your family, everyone you know, everyone in your church family has been, uh, you know, jointly affected in some way, shape, or form uh, by what's happened uh, this past year. And so, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here is, is the question I kind of want to ask. It's, it's this unknown that we're in. And so, are you going to pick up where you left off, as many of us want to, um, and, you know, we've talked about that idea of back to normal. We talked about that a lot. Uh, and I think we know that we're never going to be completely back to normal, that there's um, really no such thing as that. But do we pick up where we left off or, or do we move forward and move forward toward something greater? And as we talk about the unknown, I believe that that's where God wants us to move is toward something greater because some of the reason for our fear of the unknown has to do with us. Being intimidated by the unknown is really a problem with, with us, not the fact that God's not there or not answering or doesn't hear us. But we focus a lot on ourselves, and, and part of the reason some of us feel like we're wandering around in the wilderness uh, right now is because we become obsessed with our own perspectives and our own, um, our, our own preferences and at the same time, our perceived shortcomings of ourself. Um, this last year has really pushed us inside in many ways, literally has pushed us inside. Figuratively, we've been pushed inside, but also emotionally and spiritually, we've been pushed inside. And so there's this feeling of now what that I've seen and, and almost heard from many people in conversations and, and things like that. I, I, see, I see a lot of this look, looking like this in, in a lot of ways. Yes, this is my Memoji if you ever text me. Um, but it, there does seem to be an air of this, right? And so you, you get this, you know, deer in the headlights kind of perspective after the year that we've had trying to figure out now what. Um, and there's someone in the Bible who actually felt a lot like that, that you maybe wouldn't think of. As we get into this, I, can, I, I think you're going to see how many parallels there really are with Moses and the life of Moses and the way in which God used him and moved him into this position of leadership to make an impact on the world and, and many similarities to, to maybe where, where we are right now. Moses had a lot of unknowns. He was a guy who had many unknowns. He knew he was called as I hope all of us as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that you are called to be a part of the kingdom and, and to be a part of pushing the kingdom forward. We're all, uh, we're all called to ministry in many ways. Um, so he knew that. He knew he was meant for more, but he also knew he was flawed. 
as I'm sure many of us know, uh, that we are, but he was reluctant. He had low self-esteem, um, low self-worth. He was unsure of himself. At virtually every corner he turned around, he ran into a problem that was bigger than he could handle. Sound a lot like you and me? Sure does. Sure does. So we're going to see what we can learn from Moses, from his faith, from his successes, from his failures. We're going to see what we can learn about ourselves, about our faith, and most importantly, about our God. So we're going to be in the Old Testament quite a bit, as you may have guessed. If you don't know that, Moses, the story of Moses is in the book of Exodus. It's going to be in, in the Old Testament, and that's where we're going to camp out quite a bit here over the next few weeks. Um, so you can follow along uh, online uh, with the Bible app. If you want to jump on there, you certainly can. If, um, if you have your, your physical Bibles, we're going to be kind of bouncing back and forth a little bit from Old Testament to New Testament. But before I really get into it, I do want to say a couple of things in, in regards to this, because we spent a lot of time in the last year or so in the New Testament. Um, and, and while we may think that the New Testament applies to us more than the Old Testament, we may not say that out loud, but I think sometimes we think that because it's, it's a little closer in the timeline. It's, it, you know, Jesus, um, you know, all, all of those things. The Old Testament can be intimidating to a lot of people. A lot of stories in there that maybe confuse us and the way at which, in which it was written a lot of the history and a lot of the traditions and stuff can sometimes be confusing. And it's also a different writing style. But I'm telling you that there are so many aspects to the Old Testament that are huge for us and that can make such an impact. The truth that is there is relevant for us today. And I think you're going to see that so much as we go through here. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, and it is 75% of the Bible. Think about that. The Old Testament is 75% of the Bible. And it was Jesus' Bible, okay? Like Jesus didn't have the New Testament because they writing about him. So like when he's talking about scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about exactly what we're gonna look at here. And Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. And so everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. I want you to hear that. Let me say that again. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And I promise you, if you've not read much of the Old Testament for whatever reason or another, by the time we're done here over the next few weeks, you're going to have a very different perspective on the way in which the Old Testament points to Jesus because you're going to see it at, at every turn. Second Timothy 3 says that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And then in chapter 4, it says this. So before you turn to Exodus, I want you to look at this. Paul says this, preach the word. What's the word that he's talking about? The Old Testament at this, at this point. But he's also talking about just the whole counsel of God as well. But he says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So preach the word. Now we see many aspects of this verse, and I'm sure you're thinking it, so let's just say it out loud, right? Many aspects of this passage we see in our world today. Many things that are there. Pursuit of passions over truth. 
to satisfy our itching ears. We, we want to hear this, so tell me this. I'm going to go to where I'm hearing what I want to hear as opposed to the truth of God's word. And we're going to look at the truth of God's word. But I think a lot of that reason is why we're at this unknown place in, in many ways. Not only as a society, but I, I feel like in some regards as the church, holistically. And so we look to the whole word of God and we ask him to use that to guide us as we go through this season, because we know the Lord has brought us out of the season that we were in, and we know he's going to bring us through this next season that we're in, whatever that looks like. And so before we get into the life of Moses, though, we need to do a little setup here. We need to look in the environment in which he was born for a minute, just to get some context, because it matters. Just like it matters how and where you were born and the environment in which you were born shapes you and shapes your perspective on certain things, it's going to be helpful for just a quick second to look at the environment in which Moses was born. And so in, in this time in which he was born, the, the, uh, the people of God, they had become slaves to the Egyptians and the Pharaoh in Egypt, um, he was getting concerned about all of these people. And you're going to see why here. So we're in the book of Exodus now. Uh, and you can flip to chapter 1. And we're going to be starting in verse 9. And this is the Pharaoh speaking right here, right that, uh, in, in these verses we're going to look at right now. He says, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. So God's people are expanding, God's people are multiplying, and it scares the Pharaoh. And so he decides... In the next couple of verses, if you, if you read down the next couple of verses, he basically says he's going to implement a government-sponsored family plan, uh, which is that any uh, Hebrew children that are born that are male, the midwives are to kill them. And if they're a girl, then they could live. And so clearly, we see Pharaoh here scared of the unknown, fearful of the unknown, and he's fearful of the what-ifs, and so he takes desperate measures. Sometimes we do the same, hopefully not this desperate, but we do the same many times when we get scared about the what ifs and the unknowns that are coming. We maybe don't totally think through what we're doing and we take desperate measures. And so this is the environment in which chapter two begins where we see Moses come into play. And at the beginning of chapter two, we're, we're introduced to a couple. And so I want you to, to look at them for a second because this is important for us. I got a lot that I'm going through here right at the beginning, but I promise you it's all going to come together. So he says this, the beginning of chapter two, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Why she got to hide him? Because Pharaoh's trying to kill all the men, right? Or all the baby boys. Uh, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister 
stood at the distance to see what would happen to him. So I'm sure we know this story, um, or at least a, an overall aspect of it. Um, and so the, the husband here, his name is Amram, and uh, he's from the house of Levi. And the wife, uh, her name is Jochebed. She was also a Levite. We find their names in Exodus chapter 6, actually. But um, she hides her, uh, her son for three months, hiding him as best as she possibly can. And she's realizing, I can only keep this up for so long. Um, and so she makes this tough decision to let him go and to put him in this basket and to let him go and to trust God. But this is an important thing here. Because this moment, it might seem like in this moment she's freaked out and she's scared. And I would say that there's probably some aspects of that that are true, as I'm sure would be of you. But this was much more about her faith than anything else. Because the fear of the unknown, I'm sure, was there. But this had so much more to do with her faith and the faithfulness of God. I want to flip to the book of Hebrews real quick because I want to show you the relevance and the way that the Bible all comes together and the whole truth of God's word here. Because in the book of Hebrews, there is a chapter that's an awesome chapter. It's chapter 11, and it's called, well, most people refer to it this, as the Hall of Faith. Kind of like the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. Because it's just a listing of incredible men and women of God who have done amazing things because of their faith. And listed here is Moses' parents. Right here, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, not afraid. By faith and, and not afraid. Moses' parents, they were full of faith. And this is an important thing to look at because we are called to a life of faith as well. We are called to a life of faith. When we run into circumstances and problems and troubles, we are not called, and I know we've talked about this and heard this phrase so much over the last year. I get it. Faith over fear, and it's very true. Um, but one thing we have learned over this past year, I would say is actually this, maybe more so than the faith over fear, but the fact that we as followers of Jesus are called to a life of faith because in many ways we have had no choice but to either implement that and fall into that or to not. And so over and over and over again, we need reminded that we are called to a life of faith. We are called to a life of faith. So she puts him in a basket and, you know, we, we read the story here and, and sends him down the Nile River, sends his sister to watch and see what's going on. And then what happens here almost has a little bit of a feel of, of like a fairy tale in some ways, um, because it's really cool the way in which God kind of puts things together here. Pharaoh's daughter hears the child crying, hears him crying, sends servants to retrieve him, finds that it's a Hebrew boy, and basically violates the law and says, I'm gonna keep him. Um, takes the boy, decides to raise him, realizes that the baby needs a mother, needs someone to kind of, you know, raise the child, feed the child, all those sorts of things. Um, and so she asks this Hebrew girl that just happens to be in the reeds right there, that just happens to be his sister, and says, um, hey, help me out here. Check this out in verse 9. It says, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you, Say, saying this to, to Moses' mother. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. 
When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So Moses' sister, Pharaoh's daughter, goes to her and says, hey, I, I need somebody to, you know, to raise this child, feed this child. Do you know anybody? As a matter of fact, I do. Um, and so she gets to not only raise her son, but gets paid for it, right? So that's pretty cool. Chapter 2, though, of Exodus gives us a whole lot of biographical information that we have about the, uh, the life of Moses, but it does not have much detail. Just some quick, like, this happened, this happened, this happened. It goes very quickly. We don't know much about what he looked like. We don't know what his likes or dislikes were. We don't really know what his hobbies were, any of those kinds of things. And ultimately, the reason that we don't is because this story is so much more about his faith and his calling than anything else. What matters is his faithfulness to God and how God used him to do great things for his people and ultimately the world. Mission Akron team, this week is very much the same. It's about your faith and your faithfulness to God. Church, it's the same for us. As we're moving forward, our story is so much more about our faithfulness to God and our faith than anything else. So Moses grows up as an adopted grandson of Pharaoh and his social status, though, very different from, the, from his people. And he knew that he was a Hebrew. That's an interesting thing here. He knew that he was a Hebrew, but he, he was raised in the palace. So he gets to kind of miss out on the slavery portion and on the hard labor portion and, and all of those things. But you have, to, you have to just assume that his mother whispered things to him about his people and about his God and about the God that we serve as well. And so we find him as a grown man here in the very next verse. And we know in Acts chapter 7, uh, it tells us that uh, he was about 40 years old when we get to this point. And historian uh, Josephus uh, also says that he was being groomed to be the next Pharaoh. So this is an important thing in terms of understanding the environment in which he's in. And you're going to see this all come together here in just a quick second. So he looks at the slavery of his people and it bothers him. It really, really bothers him. He sees an Egyptian beating another Hebrew. He murders this Egyptian, and then he hides the body in verse 12. Let's, let's look at this here. It says, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting and asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said to him, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Ooh, burn, right? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. So his perspective of maybe, hey, I live in the, in the palace and I can kind of do what, whatever I want to do and all of this, that, that comes to a close real quick because he did not handle this correctly. Let's just be clear here. Moses committed murder. That's not good, right? That's, he did not handle this correctly. And his crime was seen by other people. So Moses takes off. He runs away from Egypt. He puts himself in exile for a while because he's freaked out about what could possibly happen to him. The unknown. It's right there. And so while he's in this self-imposed exile and he's there for a while, he, he meets the daughter of a priest, takes her as a wife, and they have a son. And we only get really a few verses about his, this particular exodus 
in, um, in, in the narrative here. But the motivation we find, again, in the book of Hebrews, because it really came down to his faith. So let me bounce back to Hebrews chapter 11 again. And I want you to see this. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. He's looking to the Lord, right? It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Moses knew who he was. Moses knew who he was. And as much appeal and ease of life as there was from him being able to live in the, uh, in the palace and all of the things that come along with that, he knew that was not him. He knew that was not him. That's not me is what he would say. His faith in God helped serve to let him see who he really is in the Lord. And some of us, some of you, are looking to who you are in your faith in this world, in others, or even in yourself. And you need to say to yourself, and you need to say to those things, that's not me. As a follower of Christ, have you been in a place maybe where you knew you shouldn't be? A, maybe, maybe it's literal, maybe it's, maybe it's not, maybe you've actually been in a physical place where you're like, that's not me, I shouldn't be here, I know I shouldn't be here, you're uncomfortable, something's not right, you know, the Holy Spirit's like poking you and prodding you, and sometimes we tell him to shut up, and we shouldn't, sometimes we don't, but you know you shouldn't be here, you know you shouldn't be there, you know you shouldn't be doing this, you know you shouldn't be doing that. You mess it up. We mess it up. I mess it up. But it doesn't change what you know deep down. I remember when I was in college, um, I, uh, I, had a, I was going to college in Pittsburgh, and I had a friend at another school in Pennsylvania uh, that was an hour or so away. It was probably more like two. And um, I went to hang out with him for the weekend. And while I was there, um, granted, I was definitely not living for the Lord nearly uh, nearly the way I should have been. Uh, but at the same time, God kept me from some things. And, and whether it was through my fear of uh, my parents or whatever, um, I, I didn't make some of the, don't get me wrong, I made plenty of stupid decisions, but I didn't make some of the, some of the ones that really could have uh, messed me up. But while I was there um, and I was at this college for a weekend, I actually went to a frat party. And I remember being there and walking around and seeing the things all of the things that you think of, when you, even in the movies, and all of those kinds of, like, yes, all of that was there. And I remember walking around the whole time at this party feeling incredibly uncomfortable, and I couldn't necessarily put it into words, but essentially, this is what I was thinking. And I don't know why, and I'm luckily, by my own either stupidity or whatever, I would love to say, yeah, the, I had just this moment with the Lord. I really didn't. Um, I just, for whatever reason, didn't take that, that leap and do some of the things that were there. But I remember thinking as I'm walking around, that's not me. This is not me. And so if you're feeling like Moses did right there, it said he had to look this way and that, then maybe you should listen to the Holy Spirit who is saying to you, this isn't you, you are mine. 
and I want more for you, and you are better than this. And when we live in this lavish land of sin and our conscience, and the voice of the Lord gets quieter and quieter and quieter because we are taking our eyes off him, just like it says in Hebrews. So here's what I want you to do. This might be a little bit weird, but that's okay. Everybody close your eyes for just a quick second. Don't fall asleep. Close your eyes for just a quick second, and I want you to think about what, what is that temptation? What is that sin? What is that, that thing that keeps pulling you back? What is that thing where you know you've been in that place, you've been in that circumstance, that situation where you're uncomfortable and you know that you shouldn't have been there, but yet maybe you've told the Holy Spirit to be quiet way too many times? What is that thing? I want you to think about that for just a quick second. And then I want you to say, that's not me. Out loud. One, two, three. That's not you. Open your eyes. That's not you. That's not me. That's not God. And that's exactly what Moses knew here. We are new creations. We are new creatures. And the things of this world tug on us and they pull us and they poke us and they prod us and they keep us away. And we need to look at those things and say, that's not me. When we keep our eyes on the one that we need to keep our eyes on, those situations, more often than not, we're going to be able to realize, recognize, and say, regardless of whether we feel like we're embarrassed or whether we don't want anybody to know or any of those other kinds of things that we do, we need to look at those situations and just say with the power of God and, and focusing on him that that's not you because you're a child of God. And we need to remember that God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. You don't. I don't. We don't. But God always does. Moses would not have been used by God if he had to be good enough and he always had to keep his word 100% of the time, all of the time. There's no way because it's not, it can't be dependent on us. It's dependent on him. It can't be dependent on us. And during all of this time in exile, Moses knew that the people of God were suffering. He knew that they were slaves and they were crying out to God, but God knew as well. And God remembered. God remembers. Look in verse 23. It says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God knew what was going on. And it's interesting because the word cry here in this verse in Hebrew actually is better translated as the word shriek because they were crying out to God. They were shrieking out to God and God remembered. It didn't mean that he didn't hear them because he hadn't moved in that moment. And it doesn't mean he doesn't hear you because he's not moving in that moment that you maybe think he needs to be moving in. Because what follows here in this story is the result of God's decision to keep his covenant and to fulfill it because he always keeps his word. And God didn't turn his attention to Israel in this moment simply because they cried loud enough. It's, he didn't forget about that. Oh yeah, my people that are over there. Like that, that wasn't God like being reminded. He knew. And, and it also wasn't because they were being such good people that now all of a sudden God's gonna show up and, and do this or do that. 
His covenants and his promises are not conditional on our good behavior or our social status or our looks or our whatever. We try to think that they are, and we don't say it out loud, but in, in the way in which we live and the way in which we perceive things really kind of screams that sometimes. But here's the thing. If they were conditional on something that had to do with us, we would be in serious trouble. If it was conditional on something that had to do with us, we would be in trouble. He would not have used Moses if it was dependent on Moses doing everything right all the time. And he won't use you if it's dependent on you. And he won't use me if it's dependent on me. That's not me, that's him. It's dependent on him. And so whatever your background, God has a plan to use you for his glory. If, if you remember nothing else from today, look at me, look at this. Whatever your background, whatever your background, God has a plan to use you to bring him glory. Moses had plenty wrong with his background, plenty wrong with his background. He murdered somebody in the first 12 verses of his narrative, you know, recorded history. And God used him in such amazing ways as we're gonna see over the next few weeks. All hope seems lost for the people of God in this moment. They, they're living as slaves under this regime that wants to just wipe out all the male children, all of these things. They're shrieking in their anguish to God and God hears them and remembers them because God remembers his promises and God always keeps his promises. And he sends a deliverer named Moses. And just like in your life and in mine, where we are slaves to the sin in our life and we are slaves to the sin in this world, God has sent a deliverer in the person of Jesus Christ to save you from your sin because you can't save yourself because it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on him. The story of Moses is not so much the story of a man as it is the story of a God, of our God, fulfilling his promises through a man and through his people and to his people. And that God hears our cries. He, he knows exactly what's going on and he has sent us a deliverer in the man named Jesus and he died to set us free from the slavery to sin. And so that's why the connection point for the morning is this. The life of faith is not about us. It's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. We have been delivered from the lie of sin that keeps us from connecting with God and keeps us from connecting with his purpose for our life. And it's not dependent on us. That's not me. It's dependent on him. It's all about God. God has a plan to use you. God has a plan to use each and every one of us, regardless of what your background is, regardless of where you came from. And it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. It's all about him. Your story is not so much about you as it is about God's story working through you. Do you see the difference? It's about God's story working through you. He wants to use you to fulfill his promises and to point others to the deliverer named Jesus Christ. Your story, your story is God's story. You bow your heads with me. If you feel like you're just wandering in the unknown right now,
it might be because your faith is in you and not in him. It might be because your faith is in what you're doing or not doing and not in him. It might be because you're putting way too much pressure on yourself. Maybe because you don't think you're good enough. We can come up with all kinds of reasons, but it's not about you. It's about him. And when those moments come, you need to look at those times and you need to look at those things and you need to look at the enemy and you need to tell him that's not me because I am a child of God, that it's him. If you're struggling with, with this wandering in the wilderness feeling, it may be because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It may be because you've, you've based your relationship on, on Jesus or with Jesus on, on stuff and on yourself and on all these other things that aren't just simply him. Throw those things away, shut them down, shut them up and focus on him. Say to those things, that's not me, I'm a child of God. If you want to know more about having a relationship with Jesus, about having a relationship with God that loves you right where you are, who's not saying these things or that thing that you've done, it disqualifies you. This is Jesus. He loves you right where you are, and he's standing there with his arms wide open. Love to talk with you and pray with you today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy for us. I thank you that you love us no matter what, and I thank you that it's not dependent on me and it's not dependent on us, that it's all about you. Lord, a life of faith is all about you. That's what you're calling each and every one of us to. Lord, you can use our story because our story is your story. And the sooner we get that, the sooner we understand that, and the sooner we turn that over to you, the sooner you do amazing things through each and every one of us. Lord, you want to change this world for your kingdom through each and every one of us. And we thank you for that. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, God, I pray that today would be the day that they make that decision, that they discover a God that loves them and wants to use them and wants to do more than they could possibly imagine, that wants to do immeasurably more. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.